We, um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 again this morning like we were last week. And if you've got that on your phone or um, if you brought your Bible with you or, or, or however you choose to look at that, I would, I would commend it to you because we're going to be jumping around a bit in the passage. But it's really helpful to be able to see what's going on. So check that out. Um, we'll have it on the screen as well for those of you who don't have um, a Bible with you. Last week, we were very privileged and um, blessed to be able to talk about this fact that in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. For those of us in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And the reason for that is because we have been joined to the perfect righteous one who has paid the penalty for sin. And so that when God looks at us, those who are joined to Jesus, um, God sees not us and not our sinfulness, but Jesus Christ himself. And because of that, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And we have hope because Jesus was raised from the dead and we share in that resurrection. Now, these are fun things to talk about. But there's also that line there in Romans 6 where Paul says, well, if we are joined with Christ in his resurrection, we are also joined with Christ in his crucifixion. And so what that means then is to be joined with Christ doesn't mean we are freed from suffering, but that we will most definitely experience suffering, perhaps even more intense than if we weren't joined to Jesus Christ. And that's reinforced in our passage this morning when we get all the way down to verse 17. Paul is is waxing and, and, and being very poetic, talking about the benefits of being joined with Jesus Christ. And he says this, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That sounds fabulous, doesn't it? Wait, whoa. Provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Paul cannot talk about hope and glory without talking about suffering. These two are inseparable for Paul. And so... When we talk about no condemnation, when we talk about hope, we have to talk about the very real realization that that part of following Jesus is is an ounce or two or a lot of suffering. And so what we have then in the part of this passage I want to focus on this morning, verses 18 to 25, is we realize that Paul is encouraging believers in the midst of suffering. He's offering this great hope and this great encouragement to a people who are suffering. And what we'll see then for Paul, it is the hope of God's glory. The hope of God's glory um, shown in creation. The hope of God's glory shown in us that brings the believer through suffering into the joys of the eternal kingdom. That's the message that Paul is, is, is sharing with us this morning. And so he's able to introduce it like this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so what we want to see then is three things that Paul is telling us about suffering, okay? We we need to understand the truth of suffering. There's three truths here that Paul tells us about suffering. And then he gives us a vision for hope. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So the first thing you need to hear from this passage is that you are not alone in your suffering. You're not alone in your suffering. 
Now, on one level, we could all say this because we look around and we know plenty and plenty of people who are suffering. And so when we're suffering, we have plenty of others at our disposal who are experiencing the same suffering, if not worse. But on another level, one of the things we like to convince ourselves is when we're suffering is that we're the only one who's been through this. We're the only one who knows what's going on. We, we isolate ourselves and we, we separate ourselves and then we suffer all the more. And what we need to understand is that you're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering. Satan absolutely loves it when you sit in your room and throw yourself a pity party. He loves it. He loves to isolate you, to pull you away from the body of Christ, to pull you away from scriptures and and just make you miserable. Satan absolutely loves that. And so often when we suffer, we feel like we need to put up walls and distance ourselves and, and put on a happy face, right? And we, need, we, need, we, we, we isolate ourselves in our own suffering, and, and sometimes the world doesn't even know what is going on in our lives. But when we're suffering, that's actually when we need each other the most, when our individual selves are the least reliable. And that's what Paul is speaking to us here. So listen to this. Verse 19 He says this, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. Verse 21, the creation will be set free. Verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning. Do you hear that? Creation, creation, creation. You're not alone. This whole world is suffering with you. And I say that not to to trivialize what people are going through, but just to to recognize that that you're not going through this by yourself. Every blade of grass, every grain of sand, every living creature, your next-door neighbor, everybody is walking down this road with you and walking through it with you. And so to isolate yourself doesn't make any sense because you have people right and left who can walk with you in the midst of your suffering. And so the first thing we need to realize about suffering is simply this. You're not alone. Second thing, God reigns even over our suffering. God is in charge even over our sufferings. We read verse 20 here. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Okay? That's a little complicated, but the, the point is, The creation, the world, was subjected, was given over to futility. It wasn't um, its own doing. It's not like God is some sort of divine watchmaker and he set the earth going and he set it in motion and he's just standing back and watching. And as we make mistakes and as we suffer, he's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Sorry, I can't help you there. No, God is actively involved in what is happening in this world. The creation was subjected to suffering. This was, this was, God was in the midst of that. Now, we have to be careful here. God allows suffering, okay? God doesn't necessarily cause suffering. It's not like he's zapping people and saying, okay, it's your turn now, and now it's your turn. No, he's not doing that. He, he allows suffering, and we see that in the book of Job, when um, Job goes through all these trials and all this suffering, but, but at the very beginning of that book, we see that, that God doesn't simply um, step back and let it happen. Satan has to come to God and ask permission for these things to happen to Job. 
Okay, God's not causing it, but He is allowing it. Suffering is a consequence of sin, okay? And so the reason we're suffering is because of the choices we made and we continue to make. And the whole creation now is suffering because of our sinfulness, because we've rejected God and turned from Him. Another thing to realize about this in God's sovereignty over suffering, God is weeping with us in the midst of our suffering, okay? He's not saying, oh, well, you know, just get over it. It'll be okay if you could only see what was happening. No, he's weeping with us. What happened when Lazarus died and Jesus came to the tomb? What does the Bible say? The shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept for Lazarus. God weeps with us as we suffer. We also see that God is in the process of redeeming suffering. Okay, and so when you read the book of Revelation, almost that whole book is, is how God is working behind the scenes to redeem the suffering that he has allowed but that we have actively caused ourselves. God is in the midst of redeeming suffering, and then one day there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more tears, and we will live eternally with God, and sin will be completely wiped away, and your suffering will be gone. Now, in the midst of all this, we want to know why. Why God? Why me? Why are you letting this happen? You know, it's the, the, the famous question, how can a good God um, allow so much evil? And I, I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't think any of us can know them. There's been much speculation and much debate, and we all have our own opinions. But at some point, we've got to have some restraint and just say, we don't know. But God loves us. God is in charge. He is in the midst of it, and he is redeeming it. We can say that much, and we can't say much more. But God is sovereign over suffering because he, he, he was there in the beginning. He, he knew the consequences of sin. He laid the consequences out. He said, if you disobey, this is what's going to happen. And so we can trust that somehow God is in charge. Third thing you need to know about suffering, um, and I th- this is really important, I think. If your suffering is not because your faith is deficient, okay? If your suffering it is not because you have a deficient faith, let's look at verse 23. It's not only creation that is suffering, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Do you see that? We're suffering. We have the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us and in the community of the faithful. And, and Paul is saying, you're still going to suffer. It's not because you lack anything. It's not because of your lack of faith. Believing in Jesus does not give you a get-out-of-suffering-free card. It just doesn't work that way. And so often, um, you know, there's a there's a prosperity gospel, if you will. It's a prominent theology, unfortunately, these days. Um, And there's all sorts of things going on. But one of the things that happens in the prosperity gospel is it basically says if you're suffering or if you're not getting exactly what you want or if things aren't going exactly your way, you probably just need a little bit more faith. You probably just need to try a little bit harder. You've been praying for healing and you're not healed? Well, maybe you just need to believe a little bit more. That is utterly and completely false. Jesus heals the blind man in John's gospel, right? And the disciples say, what did this man do? What sin has he committed? Or was it his parents that have sinned? And Jesus, Jesus says, no. 
He's blind so that the glory of God may shine through him. And so you need to hear this and hear it very clearly. Suffering is not a result of a deficient faith. You're not suffering because you lack faith. Frankly, you might be suffering because you have so much of it. That's one of the things that happens when we follow Jesus. I want you to um, think about this one thing then about suffering before we move on to the much more fun part about hope. Um, If these things are true, so if um, you're not alone when you suffer, if God is in, in charge and redeeming even in the midst of suffering, and if suffering is not um, a consequence of a lack of faith, then it is going to affect how we suffer, okay? It will affect how we suffer. Too often, we feel the need, and I don't know what it is, maybe it's our Western culture, I'm not sure, but we feel like we have to be strong, and we have to put on a strong face, And so if somebody's ill or somebody's hurting, we feel like we need to to be strong for them, right? I understand that. Okay, I understand that. I understand wanting to help somebody along, and, and sometimes they do. They need you to be strong right there next to them. But if we're not alone, and if God is in charge, and if suffering is not a consequence of faithlessness, rather than turning into ourselves and turning into our own strength, what if we turned outward? What if we cried out to God, Lord, have mercy on us? What if we cried out to Him? What if we even said, God, I'm so angry right now. I'm so sad. What if we turned to our friends and let them know the depth of our suffering? What would that look like? What if we turn to the Psalms? Have you, have you read the Psalms? Often we, we think of the Psalms and it's this high and mighty praise of God, and it is. But it's also, I mean, these men, these women, men and women who are writing the Psalms, they're angry. They're mad. They're questioning God. And if that's you, what if you allowed the Psalms to speak for you? And what if you leaned on your friends when you weren't sure of what was going on, who could walk you through it? Not because they're smarter or they know better, but because they've suffered before. If these things are true about God and suffering, then we need to change the way we suffer. Okay, so we've got these three truths about suffering. We're not alone. God is in charge. and It's not due to a lack of our faith. And so Paul identifies this, and then he points us, okay? He, he brings us out of our suffering, and he points us to a vision of hope, okay? He gives us a vision of the glory of God, okay? And so we're not, Paul's not trying to help us escape suffering, but he's not going to allow us to wallow in it. He's going to point us ahead, to point us beyond, point us to something that is far greater and far better and far more glorious than anything we can imagine. The sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so he has this poignant analogy right here in the middle, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Now just an aside, sometimes I try to think of what the... um, Roman women were thinking when this was read to them. 
And Paul is telling them how, you know, listen, I know these pains are bad, but they're not worth comparing to the glory of God. And they're probably like, well, what do you know, Paul? So some of you know this, and some of us have to imagine it. The whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. But women, what brings you through that pain? What brings you through it? It's not your hysterical husband who doesn't know what to do. It's the hope, right? Why are you suffering through that? Why are we going through that? For the glory of this sweet child. To hold that child in your arms. What an amazing thing. And that's what this life is like right now. We, we suffer and sometimes it's unbearable, but we have a vision of something more, something greater, something so glorious that we cannot even imagine. We have a vision of redemption. Verse 19 is the key, I think, to this whole passage and the key to a lot of how we understand God and salvation and so forth. It says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. God is in the midst of restoring things, and the key to that is our restoration. It's our salvation. It's the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we might have life, and the fact that he was raised from the dead and has ascended into heaven, and we've been sent the Holy Spirit so that we might be redeemed and share in Christ's resurrection. That is the key to the restoration of the whole world. This creation was subjected to sin and suffering because of our fault. And it's our redemption that is going to restore it. And Paul is giving us this great vision and this great hope that one day finally when the children of God are revealed and we are raised from the dead, that everything will come back into perfect order. So two things to note. Number one, the creation will be set free. Verses 20 and 21. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, okay, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So one day, this is a vision for the future now, one day when, when the kingdom is here in its fullness, the whole world will be at rights. Earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, all of these things will, will be totally at rights. Does it mean they won't exist? I'm, I don't know that we can necessarily say that. But it means that they will not cause the pain and the suffering and the damage that they're causing now. Isaiah has this great vision of a lion and a lamb lying down together. Who has heard of such a thing? This world will be, will be so perfect and so in order, it'll be finally free to be what God has created it to be, rather than this decay and this this um, suffering that, that so often brings, that is brought about in creation. The vision for the future is that the creation will be set free. Second thing, we'll be adopted as sons for the redemption of our bodies. If we go down to verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Do you know what it means to be adopted? It means that you were chosen. 
that you were picked out, that you were not in a family, and, and the family looked at you and said, I want you in my family. Not as some sort of second-class family member, but you go to court and you sit before the judge, and the judge asks you, do you understand that this will be as if it was your own child? what? God has done that for you. He has looked at you personally and individually. He's looked at you in your face. He's looked at you in your sinfulness. He knows everything you've ever done, thought, or said. And he said, I want you to be my child and share in the full inheritance. And so everything that Jesus has received, you will receive. Glory, resurrection, new life. That's for us. And what that means is that our bodies are going to be redeemed. These old, failing, decaying bodies will be raised from the grave. These bodies beset by illness, beset by um, whatever's going on in our heads, beset by cancer and all these diseases. They will be raised from the dead, perfect and holy and gloriously in the image of God. That's the hope. That's what's at the end of our suffering, at the end of these pains of childbirth. And so I would ask you this morning, does your suffering have a hope? Does your suffering have a hope? Let's face it, we're all going to suffer. But are you suffering without hope? Have you just resigned to your your place in life that this is just how it's going to be and then one day you're going to die? Is that where you are? Is that what you feel like? Or do you have a hope that something gnawing in you is saying, something's not right here. Something's not right about this world. Something's not right about my heart. And then you see here, laid out on the pages of Scripture, laid out in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is a hope. There is a future. There is a vision. There is a hope for the glory of God in our lives and in creation that one day, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that one day, God will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor any more pain. For the former things will have passed away. And Jesus Christ, he that sits on the throne, will look at you and say, Behold, I make all things new. If you suffer with that in front of you, you can be assured to come out on the other side. Let's pray. Lord, we... um, We are bold and audacious enough to say thank you for our sufferings. It doesn't mean we like them. It doesn't mean we want them. It doesn't mean we don't want you to take them away from us. But thank you. Because it is only through suffering that we know the greatness of your salvation. By your Holy Spirit, put ever before us this vision of your glory, of a restored creation, of restored people that we might be adopted as sons into your kingdom. And may we know a hope that can only come with your vision of glory. 
that through that hope we may be known as a peculiar people who love you and proclaim your gospel. If there's anybody who doesn't have that hope now, Lord, I pray that you would make it real in their lives this morning. Impress it upon their hearts. Help them to know it with their minds, Lord. And may our lives be transformed by the hope that you have set before us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.